God is not dead, but he did die. Fortunately, he left a will. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Kester, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. When Jesus, true God of true God, as we confess, died on the cross, his estate passed to his heirs. His will is in force and it is irrevocable. No one can remove anything from it, including the devil, including you. And the fact that he came to life again doesn't reverse the transfer. Jim will continue his sermon, Jesus Paid It All, at Hebrews 9.13. If the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God. That may be the most profound description of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ you'll find anywhere in Scripture. It tells us that in this shedding his blood, in this becoming human and taking our place and dying in our place, God the Son was involved, yes, so was God the Father, and so was God the Son. The whole Trinity is involved in your redemption. The Father is involved, the Son is involved, the Holy Spirit is involved. It's a Trinitarian activity, and each played a vital role. Each had a necessary part to play and continued to play. So if you want something to stimulate your best thinking, come back to this verse sometime and think that through. How much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God? Now no. The sacrifice was not made to satisfy the devil. It was not made to placate the devil and pay the devil back some kind of a ransom. The sacrifice was made to God, for God, by God. The devil had nothing to do with it. It's a profound concept. Sometimes the impression is given, you've heard it, I've heard it, in messages and books and articles that, that Jesus is the friend of sinners. You know, he really empathizes, you know. And he's kind of our buddy and he's human and, and when we sin, he, he feels bad. But the Father is the mean old bully. He's the high and holy one. And that the Holy Spirit really didn't want to get his hands dirty. Nothing could be farther from the truth. My sin against God was a sin against God the Son. As much as it was a sin against God the Father and God the Spirit. And the whole triune God is involved in functioning and participating in that grand, incredible act of redemption. Uh, releasing me from Satan's bondage 
would be a difficult task up to, say, the level of one. Delivering me from my sin curse, that's a task on the order of about 50,000. You're your own problem. You know that, don't you? Don't go blaming the devil. And my biggest problem today is not what the devil makes me do. It's how I act out my own selfishness, my own greed, my own impatience, and all those other manifestations of sin. In order to deliver me, to redeem me from myself, to deliver me from my sin, to deliver me from my fallenness, to break the bondage of sin and death, Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit had to team up to get her done. And they did. And because of what they did, now this eternal redemption has been obtained. It, there's, there's, there's nothing you can do to add to it. Nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing you can do to help the process. It's receive it or perish. Receive it. Open your heart and through trusting God to do for you what he's promised, trusting God to enact for you all the benefits, the good things that now are available to you and me because of what God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did in this incredible act of redemption. See that? It's free. It's yours. It's a gift of grace. And nothing that you do is going to add to it or make you more deserving of it or disqualify you from the full benefit. Isn't that wonderful? Listen to what else the writer tells us. This is all designed, designed to cleanse our consciences from dead works. What's that mean? That means, that means that we in our selfish pride still think we can do something to add to what God says is finished. And many of us, many, many of us as believers, we, we never experience the deliverance God intends because we're trying so hard to work it out. I shouldn't have said work it out because we're supposed to work it out. We're trying to work it up. That's the problem. We are so focused upon what we think we've got to do. We're so focused upon doing something to gain, to earn, to merit forgiveness, to earn favor with God that, that we ignore that it's already earned. It's already paid for. It's yours for the receiving. And what does it affect? It affects conscience to cleanse my conscience of dead works. That means that I now need to understand that through what the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit did in and through and with his work of redemption through Christ on the cross and the Spirit of God coming and the resurrection, all of that together, what God did can't be further perfected. And since he did it, when he applies it to me, I am forgiven. 
I am cleansed. Not only does God take away my sins and my guilt, He gives me His righteousness. Think of that. Now, what should my response be? I should be responding by serving the living God. Let me ask you a question. Um, what evidence do you have from your life since last Monday night that the God you serve is really alive? Now, don't brush that aside. Is the God that you serve really alive? Really living? Right now. Yes. Does he know everything about you? Does he actually control the whole world? The hair of your head, the falling of a sparrow? Does he really manage all of that? Is that God truly working, orchestrating all things together for good? Has he got control of Satan? Does he have control of the demons? Does he have control of the administration? Does he have control of... Really? Does he really know what I said? Does he know what I thought? Yes. 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 See, sometimes we, we look forward to the future and we look back to the past and we forget that right now that God is active right now. He is active. We sang about the blessings, the hymn writer reminds us, the blessings in our life today. The sun, moon, stars, friends, family, uh, grace, blessings, good food. God gives those things to us because he's alive and he cares. If we were more sensitive, more aware of God's living, actual living presence in our world, if we really were more sensitive to that, we'd not only want to serve him, but we would serve him. We would be more prone to commit ourselves to him, to have him transform our minds to have him take our capacities, to trust him with everything we've got. You know, my bride and I are now at that place, you know, where the big, big nasty words are retirement, pension. You're going to have enough to make it to the end of the highway. I wonder if God knows about that. No, no, no. Think. Of course he does. And does God have the resources to take me and my wife to the end of the journey and beyond? Yes, yes he does. Yes, he does. He feeds the birds. We help him in that project. And those birds have huge appetites. <laughs> huge, huge, huge. Now, what the writer wants us to see is that it's not pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. We have a living triune God who is in control of all creations. He lives above and beyond that creation. He's not contained within it. He's not confined to it. 
He, the Son, came into that creation, became one of us in order to redeem us. He did, went back home, and now He is in absolute sovereign control. He's got it all. He's active. He's active today. Right now, Jesus is actually there in the actual presence of the actual God, and He's actually doing things. Well, what's He doing? Well, he's acting as our high priest, even the Spirit of God. When we don't know how to pray as we should, what's he do? He prays for us. I mean, God knows every weakness I have. And he is passionately consumed with enabling me to in some way serve him serve him. Our, <laughs> our refrigerator door is plastered with the most beautiful art in the world. Just beautiful. Just beautiful. And every time one of the grandchildren comes up with a new creation, I dote on it. Because I'm reminded that that's what my Heavenly Father does for me. It may not impress you, but my Heavenly Father takes whatever writing, picture, poem, whatever I do, He takes it and He dotes on it, and He delights in it, and that's the key to serving Him. Doing the things that give Him pleasure. Isn't that a great paragraph? And that's the starting block. Here's something else that's going to blow your mind. Look at the next verse. Therefore, since he is the high priest up there with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and since his death is finished, and all of that is true, therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant, this new covenant that he promised, so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. What's an inheritance? It's what is given you, usually because you're a member of a family. You inherit something that's gifted to you by someone who wants you to have it. No charge. It's not a matter of sale. It's a matter of inheritance. Now watch. Because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, what that's saying is that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross reached back and paid for Adam's transgression, too. It paid for Noah's drunkenness, too. It paid for Abraham's transgressions. It paid for David's sins. All of those sins committed back there were forgiven on credit. At Calvary, Jesus in his death reached back and cleared the bill. That's what that's saying. See? A death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The blood of bulls and goats, that didn't do it. 
That was a form of response to God which demonstrated the faith and commitment of the worshiper. And it had to do with external things, things of the flesh. It didn't touch the conscience. It couldn't cleanse the conscience. And so every year it had to be repeated, the Day of Atonement. What this is saying is that at the cross, Jesus Christ reached back and took every sin that had been committed for all those years under that old covenant. See, the old covenant couldn't, the old covenant couldn't take away sins. It could only cover or atone so that God could act as if your sins were forgiven until the true sacrifice came, the Lamb of God. And he would expiate. He would take away the sins, not just cover them. Now watch, verse 16, where a will exists, the death of the testator will be established. For a will is valid only when people die, since it is never enforced while the testator is living. That is why the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. That's saying that the death of Jesus Christ not only paid for your sins and my sins, but it activated the inheritance. The one who owned it all has already died. And in dying, he opens up the will, opens up the testament, and the good things promised in the testament are now available for distribution. That's what he was looking at way up there in verse 11 when he said, the, the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come. They're already there. The death has taken place. God has positioned himself to distribute gifts. Distribute gifts. He is a giver that loves to give. And he has access of everything that can be gifted. When God says in his word, it is more blessed to give than to receive, he's simply giving us a parable to express his nature. God is a giver. God delights to give. And what this is telling us, that back there at Calvary 2,000 years ago, God signed, sealed, and delivered the inheritance. So your inheritance is yours. It's yours right now. Peter talked about how, how our inheritance is laid up in heaven where it can't corrupt, where it can't diminish, where it can't fade. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures where moth doesn't, where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal. You are absolutely, phenomenally wealthy. You are so wealthy, you can't spend it all with all eternity. It is incredible. And the point your other's making is that when Jesus, as the covenant maker, died, then all the benefits of the covenant became available to the recipients. That's you and to me. 
Some of them are so magnificent that we just, we, we, we can't handle them now. But we will. We will. But they're all due. They're all paid for. They're all free. There's nothing else God has to do. And my dear friend, uh, if you are one who trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, <laughs> there is no calculation that can be placed upon the value and worth of the good things that come. It's incredible. Read on with me. That is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. For when every commandment had been proclaimed by Moses, this is back at the Exodus, when every commandment had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of goats, calves and goats, along with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll, that's the literature, the scroll itself, and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the vessels of worship with blood. According to law, almost everything is purified by blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. What's that saying? That's saying that the first covenant back there rested upon the same principle. But note something. For the Passover feast in Egypt, God said, I want every household to come together. I want you to have a lamb. Remember that? I want you to sacrifice the lamb. You're going to eat the carcass through the night. Remember that? I want you to take the blood, and I want you to drink it. Is that what he said? What, what happened to the blood? Yeah, on the doorposts. The blood was to be applied. It wasn't to be consumed. The same thing is true here. At the foot of Mount Sinai, when Moses had finally inscripturated and written everything down that God had told him, he read it to all the people, and the people responded, we will do that, we will do that. And Moses then sprinkled them with blood, sprinkled the testimony, so both the testimony, the book, the people who are the recipients, the instruments that would be used in worship, and those who would need them, everything was sprinkled by blood. They didn't drink it. We're not deists. We don't believe that God wound up the world, let it spin, and then went away somewhere. Christians believe that God is intimately engaged with our lives individually. Or do we? Because when we believe that God is actively involved with us, Jim has said, we'll want to be actively involved with His agenda. This was the second part of the sermon, Jesus Paid It All. To get the message on CD, just send a gift of $7 or more. For the album of our current series, God's Ultimatum, Volume 1, we're asking a donation of $66 or more for the 19 discs. The line between the end of one year and the beginning of the next is arbitrary, of course, but it can serve to motivate us. If you've been wanting to give this year, please be motivated and give and pray. The generosity of listeners is the difference between Right Start being here and not. Thanks to our giving friends. Please mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085 USA or call 1-800-984-2313 that's 800-984-2313 
And visit our website, where you'll have access to many of Jim's recorded messages. It's rightstartradio.org. You can replay the radio programs, or play or download complete sermons. And we show you how to receive the daily Right Start podcast on the Apple platform. You can donate securely online, too, at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. I'm the infamous non-attorney spokesperson, but I know that a will is a powerful legal instrument. Our inheritance is based on a right, not a whim. Please join us on Thursday for the next Right Start. Thank you.